Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. All right. So welcome, everybody. Back to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast, where today we're talking to Christopher Chin. Welcome, Christopher. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well, Hunter. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. It's your first time on the podcast. How'd you find us? Yeah. I So it's actually interesting. I have a connection, Kinga, and I saw a post by John where she did, I think it was a live version of this podcast. And so since then, I've been watching some episodes, and a lot of people in my network have also been on the podcast. So really exciting to, uh, to finally be on. Yeah, I was there in person with Kinga. She does a great job with her public speaking ability. Yeah. She's she's real, but but you also have a, quite a bit of experience with public speaking and the day right. of Cole previously. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? How'd you get started? You get in the data world. Yeah, it's actually this will probably be one of the craziest journeys that you've ever he- heard before. But uh, well. I I actually have had many twists and turns before getting to data. And so I think in retrospect, when I look back over the huge trajectory of my career, it really comes down to my love for building things. And so as a kid, that manifested in loving to write music, loving to write fictional stories. And I, as a kid, wanted when I grew up to be a famous author, I wanted to be both a famous author and a famous Hollywood film composer. So those were my two big dreams. I wanted them simultaneously. I was very ambitious, but... Of course, at some point, the reality kicks in. You realize you need that steady paycheck at some point. And so being the rebel that I am, I chose the engineering discipline closest to music that I could find. And that was acoustic engineering. And that has to do... Acoustic, it's a very acoustic niche, engineering? Yeah, it's something that most people have probably never heard about before. But it involves building anything related to sound. So microphones, speakers, architectural spaces. So concert halls, the acoustics within them school classrooms, things like that. And so I went on that journey for a bit. But what I didn't enjoy as much about that experience was I didn't get to tap into that love for building things that I carried from before. And so 
what I was doing was consulting. And so I was telling other people how to build things based on my knowledge of physics and math. So I really wanted to get back into that. And that's how I came upon the world of data that we all love. I realized that data, you can build anything you want in literally seconds if it's relatively simple. Whereas in maybe other engineering disciplines like architecture, it takes years for something to be completed. So there's that instant gratification with data. And I also loved it because I could learn it on my own purely through self-discipline, self-learning, without going back for another expensive degree. So that was another big plus. And when, 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 you, were, when you were learning on your own, what, what did you use to get started? Because sometimes it can be a little bit daunting, like taking that first step, you know, getting in there. For sure. I actually took the first step into the data science world. And so that was my first entryway into data because I was doing a thesis for my master's program in acoustic engineering. And the project was trying to automatically detect endangered whale calls within recordings. And I needed to understand data, data science and algorithms to do that. And so I did a lot of upskilling with data science online through platforms like Coursera. Mm -hmm. And so there's this one big figure in the field. Maybe a lot of people in the audience have heard of him, but Andrew Ng who is a big figure in data science, machine learning, deep learning. He had this whole series on those particular topics. And I just binge watched all of his content to upskill myself. And then I did projects in my portfolio. And I was well on my way to going full into data science for a bit. Yeah. And, but, but you didn't go fully into data science. Right. You went in more into the public speaking world. I, I, I'd imagine that's a, that's a little bit odd for a lot of people to hear coming from the data industry, going right, right. into public speaking. What, what led you there? So after my stint in data science, I was well on my way. I was actually in the final rounds of the technical interview for a particular position I really wanted. And I realized that what I loved more than the data science aspect of it, just the programming, the testing, experimentation of the models, was the visualization aspect. And so I decided to make my niche data visualization and storytelling. And so I got jobs in those particular fields. And so in the industry for a while, my role was the data viz guy. So I would create dashboards, reports, analyses, present them to stakeholders and clients. And what I loved about that particular niche was that it allowed me to lean into my creative side, which I loved for music. And it let me lean into that side of building things from engineering. And so I had the best of all those worlds together. I could be creative and I could also problem solve. So that was really the crux of why I enjoyed that field so much. But after a while, after many, many years doing that kind of work, I realized that something still was missing and I was still on this journey. And the part that was missing that I realized was that my real love for building things was more specific. It was really a love for building people. And so I realized that more than working on improving numbers, improving stats, improving profit for a company. I enjoyed helping people overcome their challenges. And during my time in the data industry, I realized a lot of people have a lot of struggle when it comes to public speaking. A huge part of data is presenting your insights to stakeholders, doing demos. As you rise in the ranks in the organization, the need for public speaking increases and the need for that technical skill decreases because you don't do that day to day. You more lean into management. And so I realized what I could do that could be impactful for people would be to help them with their public speaking. And so it's been the most rewarding part of my journey so far. And I'm really glad to have made that switch. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's something that we've noticed here at Silvertone as well. Is you know, there's a lot of people who just they 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 have all of this knowledge accumulated. They've upskilled themselves so much, and they just can't get out what all they have inside. And so, I, I suppose that's really what you, you, you're saying that you do is you bring out the the public speaking, the innate public speaking ability in people who don't even know that they have it. That's what it seems like. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like there's this feeling that a lot of people have sometimes when it comes to public speaking that they want to be the next great speaker like Steve Jobs or Tony Robbins. There's this need to emulate sometimes completely the the talent of those speakers. And that's a huge ladder to climb. And what I try to do and what I realize is that it's not about becoming like them. It's about becoming the most authentic version of yourself, becoming your personal best in a way. And every personal person, brand. your personal brand, exactly. Yeah. And every person does that differently. And so what my goal is, is to help each person bring that out. Well, how, so let's say for, for some of our viewers who have, who have not even started personal branding yet, how, how do you, how do you frame that up? Do you base that on your previous experience? Do you base it on just like your, what, what you want to become? Like, how do you frame up your personal brand? In terms of personal branding, I think it comes really down to what you enjoy most. And I think it, a good analogy would be, there's this concept of ikigai, and that's the intersection of what you love doing, what you're good at, actually good at doing, what you'll be paid for, and what the world needs. And if you can find that intersection of all those things, then you found your ikigai, which is your reason for being. So it's not just the work that you do, but it's purposeful work that you actually enjoy doing every day and it's sustainable. And so once you found that, then it's just leading into that and being able to communicate it well doing the work that it takes to get really good at what you're doing. So that I would say is the first step to take when it comes to building your personal brand. Yeah. Well, how long, how long did it take you to realize that you wanted to become in the role that you are right now? Because it's been a pretty long journey from what it sounds like. Yeah. It's been probably a decade in the making for me. It's, (laughs) it's an unbelievably long journey. And I think every step of the way I came closer and closer to this in music, when I was doing composition for things like short films, that was when I was doing what I loved, and but not necessarily what the world would pay me for. So that was one thing. And when I was in engineering and I was doing consulting, I was doing what I was good at, what people were paying me for, but it wasn't necessarily what I loved. And then when I entered the data world, that's when I was kind of doing most of the things. I was being getting paid, I was doing what the world needs, and I was good at it, but it was not really what I loved completely. I did like it, but it wasn't yeah. my passion. And so here in the current field that I'm in, I feel like I've hit all of those check marks. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help 
build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. You know, a lot of people, when when they listen to that story, they're like, oh, I can picture myself at this point in your journey. Um, and I feel like I'm at a roadblock. There, were there any roadblocks that you encountered along your journey that you're like, I got, I just got stuck here for so long? Oh, yeah. There are plenty <laughs> of moments where I thought of giving up on my journey because self-learning is so hard. Right. It's, it's, it's free, but if you're self-learning, you have to have a lot of discipline to get through the roadblocks in your way. Mm-hmm. And the biggest advice I usually give to a lot of professionals who are early in their journey asking me how, how, to, how to get into data or how to get into this field is you need the, a lot of the recommendations are you build your portfolio, you get certifications, you take those online courses, but it really comes down to first having a good mindset going in. You need to have a mindset of unshakable belief in yourself that no matter what challenges come up, you can get past them. And for me, if, as an example, there was one project I was doing for my portfolio. I was creating a visualization of a map of tweets across the U.S. And I wanted to create on the right-hand side a live kind of stream of tweets, and they would disappear over time and new ones would be added in. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to do that for the longest time. And I really wanted to get that done. And so that really showed me if I want to really get into this data field and I want to actually succeed, I need to get through these roadblocks. So I, I probably I spent days just focusing on this one problem, going down the deepest Google rabbit holes, YouTube rabbit holes, Stack Overflow rabbit holes until I could figure out how to do it. And because I did that once, it created a positive feedback loop. I said, okay, I can do it again and again. And so I'd say that, yes, there are so many roadblocks that I face that many people face, but it really comes down to starting with that mindset of unshakable belief in yourself. So I've got another, that leads me to a follow-up question. We just had an interview last week with Marina Manulik, uh, and she was talking a little bit about the same idea that you're talking about right now um, with getting when you're getting stuck, you know, uh, trying to trying to almost ram your head into the problem um, can sometimes be unproductive for for her. Um, and she, she recommended reaching out to her network. How, how important mm-hmm. was your network in, in this whole process as well? Oh, man, I wish I had what I have now in terms of my network back then. I actually went through my whole data self-learning journey on my own back then. It was very scary because I, was, I, didn't ha- I had LinkedIn, but I was more of that kind of lurker in the background who just was there to search for jobs. I wasn't really there for the community aspect, which I really enjoy now that I have on the platform. And so I would strongly recommend for people to build that community because it's, it's incredibly motivational to see other people on the same journey, seeing how they solve similar problems to you. And that, that builds the perseverance. And so I would, I would highly recommend people to use their network, use their mentors. Those are incredibly important assets. Yeah, they also just give you really good ideas. I mean, all the time I'll be scrolling on LinkedIn and there'll be some seven-page long article that somebody wrote for some reason. And I'll be like sitting there reading the whole thing and I'm like, oh, I never thought of this. I never thought of this. So it's also a good idea just for some references too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay, back to back to kind of your, your mix of data and public speaking here. So... Um, ha- 
storytelling with data is something that we're pretty familiar with on the podcast mm-hmm. here. Um, f- not only for an interview setting, but also once you get the job, you know, that's you kind of have to spin a story for people who are not as acquainted with uh, data as well. Um, storytelling with data, is that something that you, you've utilized quite a bit? Yeah, it's been my favorite part about my data journey. And I actually had another leg in my very convoluted career journey after data science and before data visualization in data journalism. And so in that field, it's kind of like data storytelling for news organizations. So the people in the New York Times or big publications like that create the interactive visualizations on their websites. And data journalists are often the ones that do that kind of work. And so what I did was in my bridge between data science and the data visualization engineering roles that I had later on, I had this data data journalism stint where I worked for the government for a time. And my role was to, it was very free form. I could look into the data sets, find interesting stories to tell that would engage the public, make them interested in going to our website and finding out more about transportation statistics since I was working for the Department of Transportation. And so I had complete liberty to find interesting stories, analyze them, put them in a compelling visual format and create infographics narratives. And so that was where I really had my essentially an apprenticeship in data storytelling. And I learned the essential elements of what makes that effective. Wow. So you had, you had an, you had an apprenticeship at a government agency when you, right. when you were first getting into data, I've heard that that can be pretty tricky to get some government, to get government clearance. It was, what, what set you up with that job? Was that like through a recruiter? How did you get into that? Yeah, I, I was talking to a few people who asked me the same question, and it precisely was a fellowship. And so I actually didn't have to get all of the government clearance because I was not technically working for the government. I was, in essence, it was an educational role. So it was intended to be helping new graduates launch their careers. And so I applied for this position. I think it was through the Oak Ridge Institute, something like that. And they offered a program for one year where you could be a data journalist fellow for the Department of Transportation. Specifically, I worked in the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. And so for that duration of that program, I had an incredible time, incredible people that I worked with. And I built a very good portfolio in the work that I was doing in terms of the infographics, the visualizations, and the storytelling. What do you think the most important part about building out your portfolio was? Was it working with like real world, real world data like in your internship? Or was it uh, uh, passion projects that you had personally included in there? Or or what was it? It was both, I'd say. It was a good mix of both. I would definitely highly recommend the real world data working for an organization building out that work in, in, in the actual space. But I also would highly recommend the passion projects because that's where you can show your authenticity because those are projects that you're choosing yourself. And so a lot of the projects in my portfolio were things that I just found interesting. So things like sustainability, things like transportation was one of them, things like healthcare, all of those different aspects showed the different parts of what I was interested in. And I was able to dig deep into each of those subjects, create engaging visualizations on them, engaging stories for them. And so, yeah, my biggest advice would be to do both if possible. And passion projects are definitely the way to go. You know, I, as I'm listening to you, for some reason, this question keeps popping into my head. Yeah. Um, when when you're working with data professionals who, who've been in the industry for a while um, and they're coming to you, they're saying, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm having these 
this com- these communication problems, I really just can't. I can't say what I'm thinking without getting super technical with it. What's the number one advice that you have for those piece of advice that you have for those people? Yeah, that's a big thing that often comes up. And my biggest advice is to think about it at a higher level view. And what I mean by that is as technical professionals, specifically data professionals, day to day, all we're doing is focusing on the code numbers, our heads kind of down in the sand in the sense that we're process, 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 numbers, numbers, numbers. Mm -hmm. But what people are interested on the other side who you're presenting to, they don't care about any of that stuff. They don't care about how long it took you to fix that bug in your code or how long it took you to dig up that data set and merge it with another data set. What they want to hear is why it matters to them. And so what you need to do is kind of raise your head up above above those weeds, take that 5,000 foot view and realize what's actually important to the audience you're talking to. It's not the same language that you usually speak day to day which is very technical, it's actually the business language and having that business acumen. And so the biggest advice I would give to anyone wanting to communicate in a more effective way in their organization is talking to other professionals in the field, maybe more senior analysts, maybe your manager, about understanding what makes the business tick. So how does it make money? Because if you understand that, then your analysis can pinpoint the people in your audience to how can we make money based on your analysis. And that dictates how you design all of your visualizations and analyses to begin with at that point. You know, a lot of people also struggle with the the specific business acumen vocabulary, the the whole vocabulary of it. Um, and I think what a lot of people discount is just something as simple as you know writing it down and googling it later, right? You know, because if if you're in like you're saying, if you're communicating with a, a, uh, an executive of some sort, somebody who's been in the business field for a while, um, and and you're Usually the, the way those presentations go is, you know, you've, you've got the data, you're trying to communicate with them, and then they give you what from, the results from their side of the company should be. Um, that, at that point in time, I think that's a good time where you can just write down things that you don't understand and you literally just ask them about it. As in my experience with consulting, because that's what I got started in as well was consulting, um, most, most people in the business field understand kind of how data people are and they're not they're not like super expecting them to understand every little like sports reference inside of the business reference you know it can kind of become a rabbit hole there too of like cross-referencing stuff but uh yeah i i i think that the the business acumen vocabulary is really hard where people struggle um do you have any advice for any uh, other than like, you know, what I was saying, just like Googling it? <laughs> I would say Google is really your best friend. And I've seen a lot of posts on this on LinkedIn in a similar vein where you can get through most of your job if you have the fundamental technical skill. But a real skill comes with Googling because I, I remember on the job for all the years that I spent in the data industry, I, I primarily Googled most of the things that I needed to figure out. And it, of course, you need that fundamental technical understanding of the field. But from there, Google really is your best friend. In addition to Google, I'd say that one of the biggest recommendations I would give is also another kind of switch in mindset. So in addition to being in the sand in that technical weeds originally and then looking at it from a higher level view, I would also recommend changing the mindset from what to why. And so I feel like what a lot of technical presentations do or a lot of dashboards or reports do is just talk about the what. And so they say, okay, what happened? Mm-hmm. And the audience reaction to that is usually, oh, and it's, that's interesting. 
But what you really want to do is you want them to say, okay, this is what I can do. So you need both, oh, and then you can, okay, this is what I can do. So it's thinking about why is it important that I'm presenting this information to the stakeholder? So for example, if we were presenting a graph of sales over time, and then we said, okay, last month there was a drop in those sales. The audience would say, oh, that's interesting. But if you can say why that happened, if you can say how we can avoid that in the future, that's when things get interesting for your audience. And they say, okay, now we can do something about that interesting piece of information you gave to us. Something else that, that happens quite a bit uh, is when, when you're communicating your dashboard and you do communicate the why of what's happening, um, they, they come up with other questions based on that one question that you answered already. And so a, a number one question that I get all the time is, you know, how do you come up with novel ideas to solve when you're getting into the space? Because, uh, you know, some of uh, this project, I've only had three questions for it. I can't think of a single other thing to ask it. I can't think of another project to start. And then that's where the whole overwhelmed thing feeling yeah. comes in. Yeah, I certainly relate to that. I, I know that. It's, it's incredibly daunting, especially if you're creating your projects in your portfolio, to come up with ideas of what to create. And even if you're on the job thinking about what additional business questions can I answer in my dashboard, that would be helpful for my audience. And the biggest recommendation I would give there is to just talk to a lot of people. So talk to other senior analysts on your team who've done similar kinds of reports as you. They've, there's no need to reinvent the wheel if the work has already been done. And so see what interesting angles they've taken with similar data and use that in your own. And I'd say for projects in your portfolio, a big part of that overwhelming feeling is also there's, I can do literally anything with a project. I can, there's so many data sets out there, where do I even start? And so the biggest recommendation I would give there is to figure out what industry you want to work in. Mm -hmm. Because if you understand that, then you can pinpoint what data set to work with. You can pinpoint what business questions to answer based on that data set. And then you can show the hiring managers for those companies that you know how to answer questions they face every single day. And that makes you incredibly more appealing as a candidate. So I would recommend focusing down by figuring out what you really want. So I was, I was looking over, before the call, I was looking over your profile. I couldn't help myself. And I, I couldn't help but notice that there was something that stood out in your feature section on LinkedIn. It said yeah. four steps to make your presentation unforgettable. Yeah. And I've always I've always wondered myself, you know, do people actually care about the presentations I give? <laughs> and and so I'm interested to hear uh, hear if you would be willing to expand a little bit on 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 that. Like what how do you make yourself in an interview setting or a project that you've worked on really truly unforgettable? I like giving the example of have you watched the Harry Potter movies? I've only seen them out of order, bits and pieces, not... No worries. Have you seen the second one where there's the Chamber of Secrets? Perhaps. <laughs> so in this, at the very end of that movie, Harry goes down into the dungeons of the castle to fight the basilisk. And in the course of that battle, he gets injured and he's going to die because the venom from the basilisk is poisonous. And what happens is he overcomes that challenge he defeats the basilisk and there's a phoenix that comes in and the magic of its tears heals his wound and he's essentially reborn. And so the magic of that particular sequence in that story is that's a story of transformational change. 
And so what happens there is you face an obstacle, you overcome the obstacle, and you literally are reborn in that sense. So every time you face a challenge and you overcome it, you become a new version of yourself that's better and stronger. And so the appeal of stories is exactly that. It's seeing what happens before a change and after a change. And what happened in between is the exciting part, the conflict and the resolution. And so as humans, we always are gravitating to see that arc, that conflict, that resolution, that story of transformation, what I learned from a negative experience. And so in presentations, how to make them unforgettable is to incorporate that exact essential human element of that arc of transformational change. So when you're giving a presentation, introduce the conflict. What do we care about? What are the stakes? So for example, for that sales example I was giving before about sales the last month they were dropping, why is it so important that sales are dropping there? Is, did it drop before? Is this the first time this is happening? Is there a chance this will happen again? So raise the stakes, raise the conflict, make people invested in what you're talking about. And then bring that arc down to a resolution. So this is how we solve it. So in the future, this is how we can avoid sales going down in the same way. So if you can incorporate that essential element, that makes your presentations incredibly more compelling because it taps into that essential element of storytelling that we all are seeking in our everyday lives. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Um, that, for, and then this also brings me to uh, thinking about uh, design elements as well, because that's the other aspect. As, as I'm walking myself through, you know, how does an interview go? It's, you know, part of it is presenting yourself and then part of it is presenting the work that you do. Um, is there much of a difference between presenting yourself or presenting the work that you do? Because the, from what it sounds like, it's like, you know, you're, you're mainly focused around the storytelling, storytelling element of it. And oftentimes, I guess, I'm thinking there might, might be some overlap there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you need to have both for certain because the way that you tell the story is just as important as the story itself. So if you can imagine data visualization as like a frame in a movie, you want that frame to be beautiful and you want it to be compelling, but you also need the entire series of frames before and after to make the whole story complete. So for things like a dashboard, for example, you want to have those design elements that you were talking about. You want it to be immediately understandable for your audience. So people usually when they read, at least in Western audiences, they read left to right and they read top to bottom. And so you want the most important elements to be at the top left because that's the first place people see. And so you should put the important metrics over there. And then you proceed left to right across in that way. And so keeping in mind how people experience the visualizations you're giving, that will, in addition to the storytelling, make things so much more powerful. You know why I'm grinning ear to ear right now is because I've told people exactly what you just said for like the past year <laughs> at this point. I was like, well, how do you read a book? Left to right. Put the KPI, most important right. KPI, top left. That's, I've been telling people that this whole time. And, you know, sometimes I get the, eh, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I think it's absolutely crucial to do that. Just from it, it makes everything more visually appealing from a UI perspective, 100%. Um, so you, you started off in music, acoustic, acoustic design. You went to data. Do you still feel like that even though you're, you've kind of shifted out of the data space, that you draw still from your acoustic experience as well? I definitely do. And I was actually having a chat with someone recently about the same thing. Who This person has also transitioned from music to data. And we were talking about what are the things you carried from your previous career in music into your current career in data. And for me, it was the creativity aspect and thinking out of the box for one. So 
being able to not just do what is asked, but think, what else can I do? So thinking about all the different branches you could take from that route. That's what I carry from music. And that has been very helpful for working with stakeholders. I always think about not only what they're asking me, but what do they actually want? So for example, there was one project I was working on. The stakeholders asked, can you create a dashboard where you show all of the jobs that are in progress and you can show the ones that are taking the longest? And I said, okay, well, that's not actually what they really want. Because if you looked at the, looking at the data, I could see that the jobs that took the longest, there's a little nuance in that. The jobs that took the longest may also be because they were just processing more data. And so what the stakeholders actually want to know is what jobs are taking the longest because they're failing and there's a problem, not just because they're taking longer because there's more data to process. And so I said, okay, I can add to that by creating a specialized metric, not just showing duration to evaluate what's taking longer, but a metric that normalizes by the data that's being processed by the volume. And so using that metric, you can pinpoint what jobs are taking the longest because of other problems besides a lot of data to process. So that has been one of the greatest skills that I brought from my music days. And I'd also say it ties back to our what we were just talking about when it comes to design. So for dashboards, it comes from an empathy for what the audience is experiencing. So as a performer, as a music performer, I'm always thinking about how can I make this more engaging for my audience? And so I carry that into my current work with dashboard design, report design. I always think about what would make it more compelling for the viewer? How can I guide them in the story that I'm trying to tell? So those two elements, the creativity and also the empathy for the audience, thinking about the experience, those are two things that I definitely carry from my prior career. Okay, cool. Makes sense. Um, I, 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 I wanted to bring back, I'm sorry, I'm kind of bouncing around here, no. but I wanted, I wanted to bring it back one more time to, to the, uh, the public speaking aspect of things where uh, sometimes I, another problem that I was thinking I was, as I was going over, oh, what other, what are, what are analysts still struggling with? Uh, th- sometimes it's the opposite problem of not, ha- of not knowing what to say. And it's that they know what to say, but they speak for too long. Like they're too wordy. Um, is that, have you had a lot of experience with that? How do you eliminate like unnecessary phrases? Yeah, this is one of the big issues that I also saw during my time in the data industry. People get very technical and sometimes very long-winded with their response because they're very excited about the work that they've done. They want to talk a lot about it. And it comes down to one of the hardest parts about communication, which is editing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I often recommend that you, and this is just a practice to get better at editing yourself down, but writing down what you're intending to say, not word by word, but the main points, and then just eliminating the things that are unnecessary each time, just shortening it and shortening it each time. Because the best form of communication is efficient communication, especially in the data world where there are executives you're talking to who don't have the time of day to listen to all the things you're excited about talking about. So (laughs) you need to figure out what's the most important and you need to isolate it to that and then try and be the most concise in the way that you talk about it. And so the recommendations that I would usually give are to practice doing a lot of writing, actually. So in my time posting on LinkedIn, one of the hardest parts is not thinking of content, which is also difficult, but one of the hardest parts is editing down my posts so that they're short and concise and they just read easier for the viewer. And so that actually helps a lot with speaking because if you can write and you can edit yourself down, you have that planned process and then you can reduce to what's most important. That helps a lot when you're speaking in a very similar way and making sure that you only say what the viewer actually wants to listen to. I'm also imagining that that your public, ske- 
speaking coaching will change significantly depending on who the audience is as well. Um, are how how different are are like communicating with a client versus with like you know a, somebody at a C, a C suite level versus maybe just even somebody in your team? How 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 different are each of those? Uh, oh yes, definitely very different. And this comes actually back to my days designing dashboards because you have to tailor it to the audience that you're trying to present it to. And so it comes down to that exercise of thinking about personas. And so for a dashboard, for example, for that example of job performance that I gave before, if you're showing that to a fellow team member or a fellow technical person, you can show all the granular detail. You can show all the data about each individual job and people will care about that because that's what they want to see. But if you're presented to someone who is a little more non-technical, like someone in the C-suite or an executive, they don't care about any of those details. They just want to see how is that team performing? Do I care about if they're performing a little less than maybe a metric threshold that we're evaluating job performance based on? So they want to see higher level metrics. And then if you're in the middle, maybe you, you incorporate a little elements of both. You allow the option of drilling down further. And so when it comes to communication, it really comes down to understanding what your audience wants to hear, what they're interested in, why they should care about what you're talking about, and then focusing the content of your speech or your dashboard design based on those principles. Focusing the content based on the principles of what you gather from your audience? So focusing your content that you're speaking about or designing based on what you understand that they find important, those okay. principles they find the most important. Okay, okay, I got you. Makes sense. Um, uh, I, I don't really have, I, I'm trying to think of some other questions for you, but I don't really have any. I'd love to hear more about your story and how you got into data. Yeah, sure. Of course. So I, I, when I first got into data, I was working, uh, I, I was, uh, just a student in, in college. I didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't have any idea, any ideas, second year of college. Um, and my then accounting professor who I was very close with, um, he was like, Hey, you know, uh, you seem like a really analytical guy. They're having this special projects course for one semester next year. Um, and data analysis, uh, would you like, to, would you like to grab that course? Take it, see, see how it is. I was like, well, yeah, why not? Might as well try it. And, uh, you know, the first day of class, uh, I, it was John David's class, actually. He oh, was okay. teaching at, at high point uh, for a semester. And the first day of class, John David told me, you have a very analytical mind. And I was like, well, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. And it meant a lot coming from that. Then what I was thinking was, well, the analytics teacher is telling me yeah. I have an analytics brain. Why, why am I not doing data analysis? And so for the next like five or six months, the duration of that course, um, I really got super involved with the podcast back, back, this was a couple of years ago. So it was a little bit smaller at that time, but got involved on the podcast quite a bit with Al Bellamy. Um, you probably still see him around the LinkedIn mm -hmm. community quite a bit. Um, and then, uh, at that point that summer, uh, John David reached out to me and he was like, Hey, uh, you were my best student. I'd love to have you come over at wow. uh, Silvertone for an internship. Sweet. And I was like, oh, oh, bless, bless you. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I, I felt bad for the guy. I just had to join. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I mess with him only because I know this will bother him later. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, and then from that point on, I started out doing, doing 
uh, like Q&A work and a, a little bit. Of, and then I got more into the data analysis things as I became more experienced. I got into the consulting jobs. Um, my first ever actual consulting uh, client was a, for a company that had uh, almost $700 million in revenue. Oh, wow. And so it was kind of like throwing myself in the deep end a little bit yeah. and sink or swim. And so uh, evidently I chose to swim and that's, that's what brought me here today. But yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And if you weren't doing data, what else would you be doing? So if you hadn't had that pivotal moment in your career, what do you think you'd be doing today? Oh man. Well, so I, I used to be an actor as well. That was oh, wow. That was something that that's I did so awesome. for a long time. And so you were, it was interesting that you were mentioning a creative medium with, with, yeah. with your music experience because acting is very similar to that where it's, you know, it's, it's another creative medium for expression. Um, but there's really not much money to be had unless you're a big time, you know, right. celebrity. And uh, I was like, you know, I could spend the next 20 years starving. Or okay. I could do this other thing that I love that involves a lot of elements of acting as well. Because coming on here, coming on the podcast is oh, yeah. is is somewhat it's somewhat performance based. I mean it's yeah. it's truth, but you know, there's there's it's a certain bravado to it. If so yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's how that's what I was doing before. And so wow. I, I was thinking in my head, oh man, am I gonna own my own theater or something like that? <laughs> I didn't know. That's amazing. I completely relate to that. And yeah, as I was telling you before, my previous stint trying to become a film composer, a famous film composer, I realized that, yeah, I could do this for 20 years and I'd be probably a starving artist or I could do this other thing that I really enjoy, which is data. And so very similar career trajectory as you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I it seeming seemingly my time at Silvertone is getting ready to come to uh, a stop. I'm not. I, I'm still going to be hosting the long form podcast episodes um, f going forward, I believe. But but I am looking for that next role. Um, I, I recently just started applying, getting back in the interview process again, and applying a lot of those these skills that I've learned from these calls. Um, I, I guess a question that that comes to my mind for you uh, is 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 there one or is there one thing in your interviews that that you've had in the past that you feel like set you apart from others? Was it just your storytelling ability or is there something more to that? It was definitely my portfolio that was able to set me apart. And especially there are oftentimes in these interviews where they'll ask you to do a project for them where you analyze the data set that they typically work with. And they ask you to create something like a visualization and analysis based on that. And so, what was able to set me apart was just knocking that last part out of the park, just being phenomenal with that last part, being creative with it. And so often what I do is I think to myself, okay, they're asking me to do an analysis. It's pretty free form, just do an analysis based on this presented to us during the interview. And I would think, okay, what's the simplest thing I can do, which is just you know pulling the numbers, creating some summary statistics, creating a dashboard, making some pretty visuals. But then I think, okay, what else can I do that would be impressive? And so I think thinking out of the box, what, 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 what kind of problems do people in this particular industry face day to day? And what can I showcase that I can do? I can do something similar to that. And so for, a, for one of my previous interviews, they asked me to analyze a data set. And I said, okay, how can I knock this out of the park? I can pull in another data set that they didn't expect, 
but that would enhance the story in a way that could let me pinpoint insights that would be meaningful for them. So I did that. And I think it's for that exact reason that I got that job. And that's memorable too, because at that point, then you're in the interviewer's head. You're like, oh, this guy did something completely different that I've never seen anybody do before. Right. Uh, why? I wonder why I did that. I wonder this. I wonder that. And then they just mm-hmm. keep thinking in their head about you. And that's what that's what the key is, I think, is getting stuck in the interviewer's head. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, um, I, I I really don't have any other questions for you. I think we've covered quite a bit of information in this call. I think so, too. <laughs> this is a great call, Chris. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks wonderful. so much for having me, Hunter. It was a real pleasure. For, for those of our audience who want to reach out to you, is the best way to reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to DM me. And also my website's thehiddenspeaker.com, where I have a lot of articles on data storytelling presentation and those kinds of best practices. Yeah, I saw a lot of your uh, hidden speaker links also on LinkedIn. So if you connect with him on LinkedIn, you can you can click one of those links in his featured section as well to see some of that. Um, but once again, Chris, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was a, it was a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much, Hunter. And uh, take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.